Hello and welcome to the first episode of the TLDR show, a podcast where I distill the knowledge of books just for you. I'm your host Abdurrahman and I'm very excited to have you with me. For our first series of books, I chose to talk about us, our human nature, how we make irrational decisions, how we get influenced on a personal level and as a group, and how we can use these tactics for our benefit. We have four books in this series, starting with Predictably Irrational, Influence, Wimbigly, and lastly, Presuasion. Each episode, we will dive into each one of them and learn some great insights about us. Without further ado, let's dive into our first book, Predictably Irrational, subtitled The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions by Dan Arleale. This book explores the subject of behavioral economics, which connects both psychology and economics with our judgment and decision-making process. In economics, it assumes that we are rational creatures. By rational, we mean that we can make the right decision by ourselves given some input. However, as we will see today, we are irrational creatures, not in a random way, but in a very systematic one. We are what we can call predictably irrational. I break down the book's ideas into three main themes, relativity, money, and decision-making. Let's start with relativity. One of the main ideas in this book is how everything is relative. We rarely choose anything just on absolute terms. We usually look for another object to compare to and make our decision. For example, we usually see someone with a certain house or job, and we put them as a reference point of comparison. We do the same when we are shopping, choosing a place to rent, or even when choosing friends. We're just always comparing. This idea of relativity is also known as the contrast principle. This principle is an important one, and we will explore it again in the upcoming books. With this in mind, let's see how businesses use relativity. Imagine you go to a cinema, and they're selling two sizes of popcorn. A small one for $2, and a large one for $7. In this case, The large one will look too expensive compared to the smaller one. However, what if they offer the third option, a medium size for $6? Now, the large one is not as expensive and only a dollar more than the medium. This application of relativity can also be seen in combo meal sets, when an extra dollar will make it include a drink and fries compared to the sandwich by itself. Sometimes it works differently. In the case where you want to sell an item, you can price it between two items. One, very cheap, but it lacks quality. And the other one, extremely expensive, which will act as a decoy, and the customers will tend to favor the middle-range priced item. What's critical about relativity is that we will choose things we can compare over things we do not have a comparison for. For example, let's say you were offered two cars, a four-wheel drive, let's call it car A, and a sport car, car B. Both are excellent cars with similar prices, and you like both. For a salesman who wants to sell car A, the four-wheel drive, he will introduce a decoy, a third car, to make car A better. The third option will be a car which lacks some of the features in the perfect car A, let's call it car A-. Rationally, you will think that car A is better than car A-, but the irrational part is that since we don't have a reference point for car B, the introduction of car A- will make car A better than car B too. 
This relativity affects our life in many ways. The best example I can give is the effect of social media. When seeing how other people are living, the body they have, the dream job or vacation they're enjoying, relativity can kick in and start ruining our existing life, which without this comparison, we would probably enjoy it. So, can we do something about relativity? The answer is yes, we can. Try to always choose your comparison circle to be within a limit that will not affect your relative happiness. For example, when buying a new item, do not look into options that are outside your budget and focus on the ones you can actually afford. Using this tactic, your relative happiness will not be as damaged. Of course, I'm not calling for you to stop improving and getting better, but at the same time, you have to be very careful on what this hunger for more brings you. A great quote from Naval Ravikant, if you want to be successful, Surround yourself with people who are more successful than you are. If you want to be happy, surround yourself with people who are less successful than you are. So keep this in mind. On a side note, Naval is an amazing person, and I highly suggest you follow his podcast. I'll link to his Twitter and podcast and everything in the show notes. Now that we established our relative mindset, let's move into the second theme, money, by introducing a new term. Arbitrary coherence is the idea that once a product price is established in our mind, it will affect how much we're willing to pay for it and for other related products too. An example here would be the Apple products. Despite being expensive compared to some of their competitors, they fixed their customer's mindset over its high pricing and they were able to charge higher prices compared to other brands. Now, automatically, when you hear it's from Apple, you assume it will be expensive. So. What do we call this initial price setting? It's called anchoring. And we will visit it throughout this series. But for now, when we talk about anchoring, we're talking about the reference point that we will compare our future decisions to. Anchors are powerful tools, and they keep affecting our minds long after we make decisions. I can even say that our first impression when we meet new people are our anchors, and we will compare their future behavior to it. Let's take an example. Imagine you go to a shop to buy a sofa and the first one you see is $10,000. This will become your anchor. And using the power of relativity, if the next ones are priced $5,000 and $1,000, they would look cheap regardless of how much a sofa should actually cost. Now, imagine if the reverse happened and the first one you see is the $1,000. How would you see the $5,000 and the $10,000. If you have a shop that sells furniture, for example, put your high-priced item next to the entrance so it will create mental anchors as customers enter. Now, let's introduce another idea, herding. When we see a line in front of a restaurant or a shop, we assume it's a good one and we may stand in line to try it. And the line keeps growing by people who thought the same thing. Sometimes we do another version of herding, self-herding. Here, we make our decisions based on our first experience. If it was a good experience, we will do it again and again and start creating our own mental line. As time goes on, the line gets longer and we become more fixated on doing that thing. The idea of these terms, arbitrary coherence and self-herding, is to question whether any of our previous decisions in choosing, let's say, your career, your partner, eating habits, favorite food, values, or anything else, Are they a result of arbitrary coherence and a choice we made long time ago and we just kept going with it? Or do they actually have solid foundation? 
As always, you can improve yourself against these traps by always questioning yourself, especially in repeated behaviors. Why do I do this? Can it be done another way? How did this behavior begin? Most importantly, you should also think carefully about making a decision that you will make for the first time, since it may influence your future behavior for a very long time. Now, I want you to remember whether you have anything that was given for free to you. Fridge stickers, pencils, notebooks from conferences, hotels, workshops, etc. For us, the word free is a big hot button for irrational decisions, and understandably so. We would grab something labeled free without sometimes even asking, do I need it or whether I want it? So why free have such powers over us? Generally, most transactions will have an upside and a downside. However, the moment it becomes free, we think there is no downside and we overvalue whatever is offered. If you have a business, the strategy here is to include an item in your package that is labeled as free and it will attract the customer's eyes. If you are a designer, you can offer a basic package with minimal features. Then offer the second one at a higher price, but mention the word free next to the new features. To increase the success rate, introduce a decoy. If you forgot what a decoy is, just go back in the episode. The moral of the story, when possible, try your best to think rationally when seeing the world free. Now, let's move on to a new term, the endowment effect. It says that if we own something, we tend to value it more than how other people do. The owner will probably include some emotional attachment to the item or memories that in his or her mind will inflate the price. When I read this idea, I did a quick experiment. I have a watch that my dad gave it to me around 10 years ago and it does hold a very special place in my heart. Now, if I absolutely had to sell it, I will price it around $250 to $350. So I asked a group of friends who were around, how much will you be willing to pay for this watch assuming you had all the money in the world? And to no one's surprise, their prices were way too low. It ranged from $15 to $150 with an outlier of $500, averaging around $140. On a side note, we checked online to see its actual price and it's around $300. So firstly, Shame on me. And secondly, my new pricing will be $300 plus $250 for emotional attachment. To describe our irrationality when it comes to owning stuff, there are three main reasons. One, we get attached to whatever we have. Two, we focus on what we may lose rather than what we may gain, focusing on the downside rather than the upside. Our fear of losing something we own is a very powerful emotion. And as we will discuss in Wimbigly, Fear is among the top persuasion tactics. And the last one is we assume that the buyer will see the same emotional value as we see it. Let's go back to my watch. If I must sell it, I will start to remember when my dad gave it to me and all the good days I had with it. Then I will start dreading the feeling of not having it and I will probably not think about what I could do with the money if I had to sell it. And when I meet the buyer, I will tell them that this is my dad's watch and maybe make a scene out of it and expect them to understand me. The ownership irrationality applies to our personal beliefs as well. We will keep this for the next episode when we discuss the power of commitment in influence. To wrap things up in the money part, let's talk about the effects of expectations and the power of prices on our behavior. 
Let me walk you through an example. Let's say I showed you two restaurants menus. One had its main dish written as chicken fried rice. The other menu wrote finest imported rice topped with tender pieces of boneless chicken marinated in garlic and ginger with vibrant caramelized onions and drizzled with rich soy sauce. Now, which one do you think would taste better and be more expensive? This experiment is to show us how our experience of something can highly be affected by our perceived knowledge and expectations before the experience. This falls under what we call priming, and it will be the key theme of the last episode when we discuss persuasion. Now, with the idea of how our experiences can be affected, let's talk about the placebo effect when it comes to both subjective and even objective experiences. Placebo effect in the medical field refers to the improvement that occurs despite using non-effective treatments. If you think about some traditional treatments that have zero ground in science, but they seem to be effective every time, well, this can be a placebo effect. In modern history, countless procedures were discovered to have no real medical effect, but they cure patients. To explore this idea, a famous study was published in 2002 in the New England Journal of Medicine. It had three groups of patients with knee problems. One group had the real operation. The second one had similar operation, but didn't do one of the key steps. The third group had a placebo operation, where the doctors only acted as if they had the operation on the patient, but nothing was done to their knees. The shocking results was that the third group had almost as good as results to the first one, despite virtually doing nothing to their knees. The placebo effect plays on the power of suggestion, and the mechanisms behind it are two, belief and conditioning. Belief or your confidence that a certain action will work and have an effect will probably result in a change. For example, having a lucky pen or a piece of cloth and believing your grandmother's soup will cure your cold are examples of beliefs that have placebo effects. As for conditioning, or classic conditioning to be more specific, it's generally associated with Pavlov's experiment, in which a Russian scientist named Pavlov tested the salivation of dogs when they get their food in front of them. However, the conditioning part was that as the experiment progressed, the salivation would even start before the food arrives. For example, when they hear the steps of the scientist or when the door opens. For you, if you work in an office, remember when it's the last half an hour before leaving after a hectic day or when you hear the steps of the pizza delivery man in front of your door. Your mind will start producing chemicals associated with that experience. This can be linked to what Scott Adams calls in his book, The Moist Robot, where it assumes that humans are programmable using the correct methods. Maybe we are. Think about it as we go on with the series. Let's go back onto track. With what we know about placebo, can we expect a more expensive or premium item do better than a more generic one of a lower price? Well, experiments show that we will get a better feeling from the same medicine if it's expensive or fully priced, rather than it being cheap or on a discount. So try to use this placebo on conditioning for your benefit. Have a lucky shirt, so your mind will condition itself to perform at its best when wearing it. Start your morning with your special routine that will make your body conditioned to perform. Have a music playlist for only working out or studying, so each time you hear it, your body will go into that mode. With relativity and money out of the way, let's move into the third theme, 
decision making. Most of us are familiar with the Hulk. The comics and the movies present us with two characters. Dr. Bruce Banner, who is mild and a normal scientist, and the Hulk, who is uncontrollable and wants to destroy everything, both living in the same body. Somehow, these two characters can represent all of us. Dr. Banner is when we are in a neutral state, and the Hulk that comes out when we are in an emotional one. This challenge of controlling ourselves in an emotional state relates to a problem that faces all of us, procrastination. Let me explain. Say you wanted to start a diet. Here, you're in a neutral state with your Dr. Banner in control. That night, a friend brings a chocolate cake that you love. This triggers your emotional state and the Hulk takes control and you eat it with the promise that you will start tomorrow with your diet. This happens to all of us. Whether it's New Year's resolution, saving money each month, or my own commitment to read every day. They are broken by some immediate rush to enjoy something over the long-term goal. One of the best analogies for procrastination was presented by Tim Urban. I will link to his TED talk, which is brilliantly titled, Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator. In his talk, he describes that we have two characters in our minds. A rational decision maker that usually says, I will do the work before the deadline. And an instant gratification monkey that whenever you want to do that work simply says, nope, not now. Go and watch his video after this episode and check his blog, Wait But Why, for amazing quality drawings and articles. One way to solve procrastination is using pre-commitment mechanisms. The idea here is that we will prevent ourselves from giving the chance to the Hulk to come out and have a fight with him so you can stop the conditions beforehand. For example, if you want to exercise and go to the gym regularly, your pre-commitment can be a group of friends that you go with, or even taking your gym gear with you so you do not have to stop at home and be tempted to rest. On money spending and saving, you can make an automation money transfer that cuts a certain percentage from your saving account or limit your spending. With pre-commitment out of the way, we can add layers to our protection against our emotional self add the penalty. Much better, add accountability to it. Going back to the gym example, you have your group of friends who you agreed with that you will go to the gym directly after work. Now, the accountability and the penalty can be that if anyone misses a certain number of days, they will have to treat everyone for lunch on the next day. The same can be done for saving money. Tell a friend or a loved one about your saving goal and make a penalty that they can benefit from so they make sure to check on you. We'll explore the power of commitment and social proof in the next episode. One last advice on procrastination, try to simplify the process as much as possible. This idea of facing procrastination is a core theme on building habits. Two amazing books in this topic are The Power of Habit and Atomic Habits, which I'm planning to make episodes about in the future. Now, this is my pre-commitment. You guys keep me accounted. As for the penalty, you can suggest it down in the comments. Now, we earlier mentioned how one of the reasons behind the endowment effect was our fear of loss. What if I told you that this fear has a bigger implication and can make us lose focus on what's really important? An example that most of us are familiar with is parents with their kids. They would make them participate in music, sports, writing, arts, and all kinds of activities. So, if you're asking where is the fear of loss in here, let me explain. 
As humans, we have an irrational tendency to keep our options open, and sometimes keeping all of them just for the sake of not losing one of them. Unfortunately, this can end up making us lose everything. As for the kids, they may end up experiencing all kinds of activities, but they are mediocre in all. Worst case scenario would be them hating these activities and not gaining anything from it. Now, I want you to think, where are you keeping too many options and losing on something more important in your life? A solution from my side would be the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 rule. It says that 80% of the results come from 20% of the actions. For you to make a choice, decide on what you generally want. Look into which 20% can make you achieve them and eliminate the rest of the options. Is it going to be easy? Not at all. But it will probably be better on the long term. The last two chapters of this book cover the topic of ethics, and I would love to explore them in future episodes with other books. So stay tuned. To wrap things up, Shakespeare wrote, What a piece of a work is a man. Whether this was written in an admiration or as an ironic comment on humans, I hope that you got a glimpse on how we actually make decisions, irrationally. We think that we are the driver in our life road. However, when we deeply examine our life, we will see that there are many forces that shape and sometimes force our decision. In reality, there are two steering wheels, and ours is not the main one. My hope is that with this knowledge, we can take a second look at our decisions and make them rationally. For the next episode, we will dive into the six principles of persuasion and how we're being tricked on our everyday life. Make sure to check the website at tldr-show.com for the show notes, links to social media, and the extra good stuff. Until next episode, be curious, be critical. 